0: Welcome to episode 17 of MADE, the podcast about purpose driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to discuss the re industrialization of cities. Let's continue the conversation. Welcome back to MADE, everyone. We're the podcast about purpose driven design making and manufacturing. With me, as always, is Ray Peña. How you doing? Claudia Berrigan. Hello. And I'm Jose Valcarso. And we're here at uh, the Delaware studio. Delaware
1: Incorporated, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so, for those that don't know, Claudia and I live in D.C. Ray lives here in Milford, Delaware. Milford, Delaware, yeah. Um, and the shop is uh, like 10 Miles from here, in
1: yeah. Manhattan. It's uh, in a little town called Farmington. Farmington. We're the only business in town,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're up here this week. This week, this, well, it's Monday or Tuesday, I forget what day it is. I've been out of town, um, so all the days have blended in together. But we're here visiting, and we figured we'd, we'd record the show while we were
1: here. Yep, um, yeah,
2: it's fun. It's actually really fun to be able to to see each other and, yeah. and talk, and yeah, this yeah. is just really cool.
1: Yeah, well so. we can definitely see each other I'm not sure if I call that fun <laughs> but we can definitely see each other yes yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: and we have a bit of an audience as well so you might hear one of race cats
1: <laughs> at yeah running like around run away, knocking things over
0: yeah so yeah cool I mean I, I enjoy every time we come here we get to check out the shop and and different and we might do we might have a couple other shows that we do from here because there's some stuff we're thinking about in the future yes as far as other projects you know people, people if people haven't Listen to previous the previous show about the lamps. We're planning some other stuff like that, uh, that would bring us here. So it'd be kind of cool. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, for us living in D.C. in the city, it's such a like it's it's a nice relief away from the city. Mm. Yeah, just to come here and like
1: driving through the corn. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: I mean, and it's (laughs) great because you go over you know the Chesapeake Bay, and then you start seeing you know like all of the farms, a lot of cornfields, and then you start seeing like the smaller towns and then industry.
1: Yeah. Which is really cool now did you notice as you were driving that you would see all these uh fields but every once in a while if you pass a house you'd see a little garden in the yard Have you, did you notice that at all yeah. Yeah. as we go through uh uh on the way back i'll show you you know there's a garden people uh agriculture and and gardening is kind of in the blood of everybody here mm-hmm. yeah yeah.
0: Very
2: cool. yeah and then you see the. Um, some wind, some wind turbines oh,
1: wind turbines yeah, yeah. and then yeah, I tour,
0: think that, that's solar that's new right there was one like right off the road there was a huge
1: yeah thing. that one is part of the uh, there's a university there I can't remember uh, uh, which university mm-hmm. if it's like Delaware Tech or Sussex Tech I'm mm-hmm. not sure which one yeah. which one it is power. but yeah that is a test mm-hmm. that's a test uh, facility yeah. they have there for uh, for wind power cool very cool very nice yeah yeah I like it.
2: it definitely it's always a great thing to come so thank you right.
1: Yeah. yeah, no problem
0: Yeah, well cool So this week we're talking about the reindustrialization of cities And because we're probably going to talk about that quite a bit We're going to go ahead and skip through the news this week We'll be back with some news next week um, <laughs> And I don't know if anybody <laughs> heard Q. that But, but he's uh, objecting to that I think he likes the news segment <laughs> Yeah um, Alright, well let's get right to our main topic then All right, let's get to our main topic, and um, this week we're going to talk about, well, it's based on an article, but I don't remember who it was by, actually, I don't have it open. Ross Brady. Ross Brady, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. And it's uh, called The Way Forward, an argument for the Reindustrialization of our cities. Um, So I thought this would be an interesting topic because it covers zoning, it covers architecture and design and it's covering somewhat about making and you know manufacturing mm-hmm. and how we bring that back to our cities
1: and the co-mingling of different functions
0: exactly yeah yeah um so what i mean just in a broad base what do you guys think about the the, the article and the topic so far or hmm, i
1: uh <laughs> i am curious what claudia's got to yeah. say about this one
2: <laughs> so nothing new is the biggest thing like everything yeah. that we said right now like mm-hmm. the commingling of everything mm-hmm. of uses and all of the topics that they, they just mentioned none of that is new yet this article seems to think that they just reinvented the wheel and they reinvented urban planning and urban design and we have you know like Ro- Ross Brady is the opinion piece writer <laughs> um yeah so he he feels like oh well you know just from the first sentence that urban planning has undergone a significant shift mm-hmm. and, and no it hasn't and you could you could say that in 1960s when Jane Jane Jacobs wrote her her book mm-hmm. that yes at that at that given point maybe there was a shift and that was a shift from Corbu's way um, of like the radiant city of urban planning in 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 that era mm-hmm but now to actually claim that mixed use design is a shift mm-hmm. for urban planning and that you know i think what he's trying to say and he says it in a very poor way is that including industrial uses within a city context is what's new
3: right I, you I, don't
2: have to kick <coughs> urban planners from the get go mm-hmm. in order to make that point or completely say that they haven't been doing this and they, they needed to shift. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he also claims that those that shifted urban planners are, what, how does he call it, uh, non-profit organizations or like, uh, what I call armchair planners.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let, so let's tackle it a little bit at a time, I guess, because I mean, I agree with you that the mixed-use development is not a new thing.
1: And isn't it, you know, when you think about it, that was before there was planning. That was kind of like the default setting. Everybody uh, wanted everything in one place because they couldn't travel very far or very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, you worked here, you, you had the tannery right down the street, and it was plugging up the water system, and there was a lot of competition for the same resource of space, clean air, water. So that was kind of a, a uh, when you think about the Industrial Revolution, the, the default setting, and people didn't like it because it was such a messy, dirty thing. And that's what kind of maybe stimulate a lot of this separation of zoning and and uses
2: yeah and even before that right and during the trade and during the bartering um, era era yeah that's what people were doing right you would produce something in your home yeah you would like do a minimal in- industry in your home and then you would barter with your neighbors Right. Like and making gloves and exchanging gloves. it for cheese. Yes, and, the, so and you the, don't
1: want to go 20 miles to get cheese. Right.
2: Exactly. So yeah. inertly that's what we do. That's as human beings, as social beings, we do that.
0: Right, but we we have for a long time sort of <clears throat> taken that out of the equation with zoning, right? <clears throat> Industrial areas have typically been kept away from residential areas. In I don't know, I mean, you you know, planning more than I do. But when would when would you say that started?
2: So zoning is not a, an urban planner um, factor. Like It didn't come, it didn't rise from an, like urban planners deciding, okay, we're mm-hmm. going to do this. It, and that's the other critique that I have for him because you know, it's like putting all of the, the, the fault, I guess, of, of what was before and the shift to urban planners is wrong because it, it came from regulation and regulation came from city politics and from just government governance Mm -hmm. as a whole so
1: and that was stimulated by the people who said i don't want a tannery next door
2: yeah and that was also stimulated by capitalism too right because you could easily say like if you know in countries that are not that are not fully immersed in the capitalist society Mm -hmm. bartering is still a function right and you still have these mixed uses all within a building and in my own country bolivia that's that's the case currently in two thousand sixteen
3: mm-hmm.
2: um to the degree of that he's mentioning of industry you know all kinds of uses within one building um so it's not it's
0: zoning, well, zoning enters into it right <coughs> because there's certain zoning areas that do not let you even have mixed use of any kind it's just residential you can't have commercial
2: yeah all. and that's a value driven reason too. Right. For example, you know why wouldn't you have um, a building, even within a residential building, right? You you're not going to have a condo building which is owned by the the residents and a rental building, in the same footprint. They're separate,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? And if you ask a planner, they'll tell you that's the silliest thing because that that you know you basically have to build two buildings now, mm-hmm. right? But the reason why they do that is because the developer doesn't want to be able to sell that can't sell that to the colony people are saying oh well that half or the bottom half or the top half or the right half is for renters
3: mm-hmm.
2: it, it's a hard sell for the developer to mm-hmm. do that right. from the get go so the client is telling the urban planner we don't want that mm-hmm. and the urban planner has no other choice but mm-hmm. to do what the client does, wants right. and zoning follows that
0: right cuz a lot of developers go through the trouble of changing the zoning in order to suit what they want to do.
2: Yeah. And yeah. you know, zoning says this is a residential zone, right? It doesn't it doesn't say oh this is for condos at, you know, three million apiece. You know, it doesn't right. say that. No. It says this is residential. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it gives you the density. You and know. it gives right. you the density.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So you could easily like so zoning doesn't
0: it does give some that. prescribed uses but not to that degree. Some there's some zoning there's some residential zoning areas that are only for single family.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: so the reason why we have what we have is not so much even zoning it's because of the market based forces okay.
0: alright so now let's let's get into that then so a big since it is a market driven thing I th- would you guys agree that a big reason why industry has been sort of pushed off to a side as far as combining it a multi use is because industry has been considered dirty for so long right it's been considered a, Uh, making waste and dirty and you don't want to be around
1: it yeah and you know there's a lot of industry that that is dirty I like the examples they used in this article Mm -hmm. they're all nice and clean making sales you know you're sewing fabric together and you know it that doesn't really produce any waste that would be uh, uh, seen as a as harmful Mm -hmm. Uh, your waste is what scraps of fabric and and thread and Mm -hmm. maybe you got a broken needle so the industries that they've chosen to, um, to apply to these mixed uses are what I would consider uh, maybe soft industrial mm-hmm. processes. Uh, I like using the example of a tannery because, and I said it a few times already, the tannery <laughs> is one of the worst, most awful kind of industries you can have. And when uh, industries started uh, becoming big and they started competing for the clean wa- just basically clean water, the tannery was one of the first things that got pushed out of the, the city limits because of the chemicals that they use, the stink, I mean, it smells awful. Um, butchers were the next one. Uh, you know, you have, a, I, I think in Europe, they like to call them abattoirs. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they pushed them outside. Nobody wanted to see animals being slaughtered yeah. or butchered or blood everywhere and right. smelling all that. So a lot of these dirty industries, you know, uh, got pushed out. And I guarantee you that if you had a slaughterhouse in any one of these examples, (laughs) people would not be so uh, enamored with the concept of a beautiful mixed-use industrial complex, industrial residential complex. So I think that there's there's too much uh, broad uh, uh, industrial processes that you could uh, include and exclude from this. So. Um, in, in my example, in particular, you don't want to be living above a machine shop. Right. Uh, when we're cutting metal, uh, some pieces are big, and as you're cutting into it, they resonate like a bell. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is, you can he- you've seen how big our shop is? Yeah. Somebody's all the way in the back, you can hear it standing outside the mm-hmm. front door. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely some processes, and you've seen the scrapyard in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, in a, in a,
0: But now, that being said, your shop is actually quite near a residential area.
1: It is. But it is a... And you know, you brought up some very good points Mm. because of the zoning issues. Right. We are putting up a new building, as we said earlier. Mm. And because it's such a small town and they're incorporated, they didn't have any zoning in place, but they had rights to have zoning in place. Mm. So our new building has actually become a precedent for establishing zoning in that town, mm-hmm. and whether they knew it or not it, it's it has been established now mm-hmm. so uh, it, it, and it, it brings up a good point that a lot of these projects when you start a project, any project can become a precedent mm-hmm. for future projects mm-hmm. uh, like like in our case with our building and you're right uh, we have uh, residential probably less than a thousand feet away mm-hmm. and if if the skill level of the of the people that live there were higher they could actually walk to work mm-hmm. so
2: but I, and I think to answer Jose's question as well I think it's it's a matter also of s- space mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and size and the reason why you don't have in many of these large cities first you know like the the major cities like mm-hmm. the the principal the, the, the New York's the DC's the you know San Francisco's of the world is because they're, they ran out of space so industry was was taken out was shifted. Other and cities, that space yeah, that do
1: have is expensive. Yes,
2: yeah. because the value of that again market based forces have increased the value of that pro- of that land, right? Mm-hmm. And the industry now how has, has now become um, re- ownership of the land is the industry, mm-hmm. right? It's completely shifted that. Now you have other cities like Pittsburgh or Baltimore that have. That history embedded in them as an industrial, as a Rust Belt, and all along the Rust Belt, that they just can't make that shift uh, that abruptly, right? Because it's so much embedded in the culture and the people. So, and they have land too, Um, and also where they're located makes a difference. Baltimore is an interesting thing, but so in Ray's case, and what he just mentioned about um, his shop. It's good to keep in mind that it's spread out. Right? So while residential is within 1000
1: I would say 1000 feet There's feet, right? houses, yeah.
2: The impact of the machine shop mm. to that particular resident is not you you still don't see it. It's not in your face. It's not like you're living on top of it. Correct. Right? right and it's also not as dense too. And there's Mm -hmm. trees and there's some separation there.
1: Yeah. That town has the, according to the last census, a population of 85.
2: Yeah, so that makes, (laughs) uh, so and that's, and that's. Spread over
1: probably one or two square miles, you know. Right.
0: And I mean, I guess that's part of the point this article somewhat makes is that the industry is, this industry is not in a city anymore. It's going out to a smaller town, right? That particular industry that you're doing, it's a machine shop. So I guess let's talk about this question is the is bringing industry back into the city even a good idea mm-hmm. I
2: think what type of industry is also yeah and I it. think
1: that's where that separation between mm-hmm. clean industries and and uh, dirty maker. industries mm-hmm.
2: or even the maker industry and, that, and they
1: that's even pointed they that out right? you know the maker so if you only need 200 square feet to make like let's say you're making little gadgets or whatever they are uh, and you only need 200 square feet well that could be the corner of your apartment um, or you have a work a work loft or whatever it might be and the premium that you're paying for that workspace is not so great but if you need it like in my case 40 50 80, square feet
3: mm-hmm.
1: of premium space it becomes um economically unfeasible yes you
2: that's exactly why this isn't why his 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 proposal it still doesn't work because he
0: doesn't because he doesn't he doesn't Talk about the economics of it.
2: The economics of it, yeah. in in these in, in even in the examples that he gives,
0: right? Right. Well, because other examples that he gives are tied into also having a store, a lingerie. What was it? lingerie. Yes, lingerie manufacturer. <laughs> manufacturer is probably also going to be selling their lingerie right there. Yep. In front of, and nobody's going to complain about it, <laughs> lingerie and, manufacturer. And
1: exactly, and the factory actually is an asset. People mm-hmm. are coming in looking at lingerie. Oh, let's go upstairs, and you can see how it's being made. Big. It's a hand process And you can see all these people back Down there working mm-hmm. And so it becomes Having the factory right there Becomes a huge asset And of course you have The office that there. Mm-hmm. So that's a very Specific industry But guess what It's it's not filthy mm-hmm. It's not a filthy industry mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Yeah and, and it's interesting Because like What I've seen is um, In 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 my neighborhood Local Right um, In DC Is uh, Coffee shops mm-hmm. Right The coffee industry So there's very few Because I've been trying To find the right place where I'm going to purchase my coffee, you know, cuz I want it to be local. And when I mean local, I mean it has to be from where they
1: roasted and they grinded roasted and, and all that from there.
2: And yeah. I also want it to be Cause
1: Let's be clear. Coffee is not grown in the United States.
2: Exactly. So so <laughs> yeah. so and it that it provides jobs to local people too, right? Um, so that it's not just two people traveling to Costa Rica or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like all the, you know Africa and then getting Anyways, but that's so the the, industry, the, the small shops that have been able to do that, not small, but you know, th- that are local, they have closed their stores so much, and the actual manufacturing, where they're packaging and everything else, and they're doing all the manufacturing of the coffee, has been moved out to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and barely making it, too.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it, as a proven concept, it's not proven yet. Not, it's not, it's not, and that's coffee, which you would think that it's such a,
0: right.
2: it's such a high commodity within a, 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 a very modern city.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not proven. Well, I mean, it's interesting because we keep talking about really commercial uses that have an industry, I mean, because what you mentioned about the coffee is not different than a brewery, Correct. right? Exactly. That might brew its, its beer there and then they sell it in the restaurant, but that's really a commercial use. Well, they've incorporated to themselves some a certain level of making the beer or making the product it's not really an industrial use
2: yeah and they gentrify themselves out of their space too right because the minute that you bring in a a a brewery a local brewery which is also like I, I feel it's the same way as coffee um, a local brewery to in to a neighborhood um, then their rent increases, <laughs> right? right? That only can last for a year, because really quickly it's like, oh, then brand new DC Pro moved in, mm-hmm. and now like the rent increases all throughout the neighborhood in the mm-hmm. four blocks that they're in, and then they have to move.
1: Right. So that's an interesting uh, example they're using, because that industry has added value, whether it's directly from the industry and, and whatever product it's making, or a perceived value by the, by the local people. Mm-hmm. They've added value to the neighborhood, and which is why it drives the price of everything around it up. So the the industry itself is, is a uh, has a symbiotic relationship. Everybody's benefiting when the property uh, values go up, except the people who were there originally, who maybe got there because it was more affordable. And because it was affordable, industry found it attractive. The industry came. The industry made it more valuable. The value went up and then the people who were there had to go out
2: and the industry left <clears throat> exactly yeah. mm-hmm. and so it's, it becomes a cycle of and which is why you know, urban planners can't control that mm-hmm. zoning can't control that right. um,
1: but it's it, a bit of a gamble because nobody knows what industry is going to succeed or not it's a bit of an unknown commodity
2: yeah, it, but you know it depends on again which type of industry we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I, mean, I think it depends if you consider an industry because I mean, I I was born in Peru and I grew up in Callao, Lima, and there was a an actual brewery in the in in the way from Callao to the to the city of Lima, and I remember every time we would take the bus and go that way, you knew when you were getting near that brewery because it smelled to high heaven. Yes, in that you could area. smell it, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, these guys were brewing beer for, like, an entire country. You know, there they they was a huge manufacturing facility. That's not what this article is particularly talking about. The question that becomes is, is that what should be coming back into the cities? Or should it be yes. more of this boutique yes. industrial?
1: I think they'll, they'll find out what people are willing to tolerate. And they're not willing to tolerate a paper mill. They're not willing to tolerate a slaughterhouse. So there are things that are already understood to be excluded from this. Um, the the sail loft I think was was interesting because it's one it was in a, a coastal town, right. they have boats boats need sails so it kind of made sense with the, the history, history of that town, right. to have that that sail loft. But I think that there's going there is an actual limit and I liked how they they brought in this maker thing because what they're really thinking is like you're saying, the tiny little boutique 200 500 square foot thing. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about the 80000 square foot. Machine shop or the mm. yep. the four hundred thousand square foot paper mill. Yeah. Uh, have you guys ever smelled a paper mill? Ever been no. near one? No. Trust you would think me, it wouldn't you smell. you know no. you would know it. You would definitely uh-huh. know it. Right. Uh, paper mills are usually they got to be located near water, and they're usually located way way outside of town, miles and miles away, and you can still smell it. And you guys haven't been here when they were uh, in the town where I live, and we'll I'll show you where it is. Mm. It's one of our good customers they do clams there yeah. Yeah, you've mentioned them. they yeah. shuck clams and when they are running at full speed you can it. smell <laughs> it from here you can smell it from here but they employ two hundred people right. yeah. and it's been here for a hundred years mm-hmm. so it's one of those things people are willing to tolerate even though they're and you'll see how far it is to get there mm-hmm. uh, but uh... <laughs> you can definitely smell them and we're not we're not two blocks away we're at least i would say we're close to a mile away from, mm-hmm. from that
2: to me, that brings up an interesting because, I, like I mentioned earlier, values play a big role in this, right? So, even if it's the makers movement, or if it's smaller industry, does it become a transient, move, like a transient community at that point? Like that's the struggle right now with DC, for example. It's such a it's the it was always transient, but now it's transient to the max. Mm-hmm. And that creates a problem because But transient
1: for the residents or for the in, for the businesses
2: transit for, for for all of it because people are constantly moving in and out. So, like if there was a if there was a web uh, developer, right? There's 10 web developers now, and 10 shift out, and 10 new ones come in, mm-hmm. and it comes by age, right? At age of 25, you're already too old to be a web developer. Perceived as the hip web developer, so you move out, and the new one comes up, and then that other person has to move into. Brewery, <laughs> you know, and slowly, like it's just—it's a cycle. Yeah. So, but the the case is that, and then they literally leave the city and they move somewhere else. So industry is also being like this.
1: Well, even you guys too, right? You you just recently moved outside of that. You guys were closer to the.
0: We're, we're still in the city we're probably we're actually probably closer to the middle of the city than we yeah. were before we're hmm.
1: probably closer to
2: an to a more of an industrial area now yeah. than, than we were right. ever and within the city what you would call and like the industrial area but all of that is being taken taken out right now too but what i'm saying is, is that this industry need a stable community mm-hmm. to right not just for jobs but also for it to thrive like you know like Back in back in the day, like the Rust Belt, or even here right now, in Delaware, like some of those you know industrial towns or agricultural towns, like it needs that. And if it's a, if it's a complete transient movement, mm-hmm. city, will it even work even at the maker industry level?
0: Well, and, and I want to circle back to DC in a little bit because you and I had a conversation about DC, uh, maybe a month back or something that had to do with industry. So I wanted I want to all to touch on that in a little bit, but um, I want to also say. What you just brought up, though, about um, the type of industry and bringing it back to the cities. So, are the, is the type of industry we're talking about sort of this smaller boutique type industry? Is this going to help the cities the way? I mean, det- you hear the stories of Detroit and of Buffalo where the industry left, and now the cities have no industry, nobody to hire. anything. can this kind of boutique industry help the city the same way that? I mean, I, don't, I could imagine the same with a car manufacturing used to help. Or a steel job, mill. Or a steel mill in Buffalo or whatever. So how does this really help the city then? If you're really just opening commercial stores that have an arm in manufacturing, you know, does it really help the city? I think in well,
2: cities that, like that, maybe.
1: Well, that's a good question. I think it might help, you know, the local, I mean, immediate local neighborhood. neighborhood. Right. You know, because uh, if you are if you got a little 500 square foot boutique, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it might be, uh, uh, let's use coffee grinding for, for example, Um, one of two well one of three things happen. You try it, it fails, and you have to close the doors. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is you are you the demand of the local uh, neighborhood and your supply are equal, and everybody's happy, and you have a very steady rate of of uh, of manufacturing that and that does happen uh, or number three you become very successful the word gets out how great your product is your demand increases exponentially now you need 10,000 square feet and 500 and you don't have a choice but to find space elsewhere so then that boutique ends up growing beyond its ability to stay where it is and it has to move on get a bigger space now the vacuum is left in that community so it is Part of I think of the evolution of neighborhoods, evolution of communities, evolution of towns and cities. I think that that uh, mechanism, what you call the transiency, I think is probably just part of the natural order. Mm -hmm. So as something comes out, you know, uh, if they were they were doing coffee grinding and they left, uh, chances are that another coffee grinder is not going to move in. It'll be Mm -hmm. you know like a little lingerie store, or uh, you know somebody who makes fruit baskets or whatever it might be.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So. I think that is a very difficult question. You have to have that ability to peer into the future right. uh, that nobody has. And, and there's too many variables to actually determine whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but it, what is clear to me from the discussion and from the uh, nature of the article is that nobody wants to have dirty businesses right. in their neighborhood. And you did bring up Baltimore. Uh, yeah, are yeah. you you're familiar with Pig Town in Baltimore?
3: No. There's
1: a little area called Pigtown. And the way it's got, it, it got its name, it's very interesting, they used to run the pigs through Pig Town <laughs> from wow. the trucks or the rail cars to the slaughterhouse.
3: Wow. And
1: they ran them through the streets, and that's how Pig Town got its name. So you had buildings, you know, row houses on both sides. And my guess is that was during the time when there were dirt roads. I don't know for sure. But they were, the pigs just, you know, by the thousands, run them right through the streets <laughs> to the slaughterhouse. So, they did that uh, in Baltimore, but it didn't stay there, didn't stay there, and there's an interesting building downtown, it's called the Scarlet uh, uh, Feed and Seed Company, Mm -hmm. and the only reason I know is because I I did the renovation on that building, it's probably about 150 years old, something like that, beautiful building, it sits on a corner, and it's got like a triangular shape to it and all that, Mm -hmm. so we did a, a lot of renovation on that building, but that was a feed and seed store, and it is located right in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore, Guess what does not happen in that building anymore? There's no feed or seed there, and it hasn't been there for at least seventy years so when when uh the environment of downtown changed, it kind of forced that that uh industry out and it used to be right there downtown yeah. easy place to get to so I think this is part of the natural mechanism and evolution how, how do you fight How do you fight that evolution right. okay.
3: hmm?
2: hey, i I've recently read something about um Story and it was, a, it was from a blog post. Somebody was um, sad that a a panaderia a bakery store in DC, in 11th Street, moved out. In a Mexican bakery store. They're like, oh, they're no longer there, because you could go in there, and if you spoke Spanish, they would give they would give you they would give you they would sell you some, as if they weren't selling it to to the rest of the community <laughs> which is really weird like yeah. that that whole concept that was like okay that's weird um and then somebody else was saying oh i love biking around there and smelling the, the, the bread, bread. Mm-hmm. that was just such a great thing
1: nobody right. ever says i hate the smell of fresh bread yeah Nobody <laughs> ever says that.
2: and they moved right they moved and where did they move they moved outside the after the city
1: that's no, because th- they grew you don't know the reason
2: no they moved because they couldn't afford to be there anymore because the developer came in and and bought the the block mm-hmm. why because there's more cyclers and guys who' speaking you know who speak Spanish because they went to the Peace Corps mm-hmm. <laughs> that are now moving into the in, in there and they can they can rent it or for a lot higher
3: mm-hmm.
2: right so yeah that's such a that that's a great thing to have but they're the ones who made sure to
0: get rid to get rid of it, rid of it. Right. yeah they right. they costed the mice of the thing they so mm-hmm. supposedly loved,
3: right?
2: And the good thing though for that bakery is that they moved to another neighborhood, which is, you know, it's it's probably a, a Mexican neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, around Riverdale, and that's you know they're they're thriving, they're gonna thrive there too. Uh, there's plenty of other bakeries, and this is gonna be another one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so there's choices for these for these smaller shops, but here in in the lamenting of that and you know then you think about it is is it really the urban planner's fault (laughs) i still go back to that because i'm like that is really the urban planner's fault and that's zoning that's a zoning issue Mm -hmm. and that was a perfectly good industry right there
1: it is and you know and you bring up a good point because what type you might say well this is zoned industrial Mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's different levels of industrial Mm -hmm. uh there's different levels of factory if you zone it that way that doesn't say what kind of industry is going to move in there. And it also can't, doesn't say you can exclude a certain type of industry. Mm-hmm. But communities can gather and say, no, we don't want a tannery here. No, we don't want uh, uh, a butcher, you know, a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. But no one says, well, yeah, uh, uh, a bakery. You're going you're gonna to be having trucks moving in and out at 4 in the morning. Right. Nobody ever complains. And bakeries, they get started at 3, yeah. 4 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't complain about that, so it's it's interesting. And if there's no complaint, you can't obviously control what what industry comes in. But that bread example is an interesting g- example. It's a lot like the the uh, brewery. They added value mm-hmm. to that in, that community. They added value to that neighborhood because everybody talks. Oh, I love the bread and it smells so good and blah 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 blah, blah. It was
2: always there, so they didn't add that value. It was always there. So the ones that came Until it wasn't. there, that you could say they added the value were the new, the, the new people that moved in. The, the, the so it was a bakery before... The bakery was always there mm-hmm. before the, the bicyclist and the, yeah. and the Peace Corps volunteer came by.
1: But that, uh, that you don't think was a, an asset that attracted them to that area? No. Having the bakery... No. What attracted them
0: it? to the area was the fact that they could... The, the, rent, the, 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 the cost of, of buying something there was low. The,
2: yes. and, and Employment employment in DC was in DC hasn't you know even even through through so through the, the, the depression or you know like the recession the recession sorry hasn't really been impacted as much for for people like like that mm. for young people who have no
0: you know like they, they don't have a family to support they don't have
3: mm.
0: a lot of assets or anything like that well, I mean, let's talk about D.C. for a second, because uh, you weren't there when we had this
3: discussion. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: But I know you, Claudia, you're involved to a degree with the people that are trying to the, the D.C. state movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And you and I were talking a few weeks back. And you were telling me that you guys have been looking at sort of the requirements that they lay out for what makes a state. Right. Or what you have to have to be a state. And there were some silly ones like you have to have a flower or a bird and all like these sort of things. Right. But one of them, you said there had to be three industries.
2: Yeah, and and it was interesting because it was somebody that we were in a parade. And at the end of the parade, everybody was like, oh, this is statehood, this is great. And this guy that's guy was there. And he's like, so do you guys have the three industries that you're supposed to have? And agriculture was one of them. Agriculture, um, I'm assuming some type of heavy industry. Um, and then just
3: as a requirement for statehood?
2: A So yeah. And and that so that was one of, and that's where all of the people that I was with, they stopped, and they could not answer that question. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at 10 square miles, my, and my, my response to him was like, at 10 square miles, it's really hard for us to have that. However, for instance, there's urban agriculture now. Would that count? And he's like, well, that, at the state level, that, that, you have to make that case. But if you guys are only 10 square miles, It's gonna be a difficult case to make. It's gonna be a precedent. There are farms
1: that are bigger than that.
2: Exactly, it's gonna be a precedent. If you guys, what what you guys are asking for, you know, what what DC is asking for, and um, so it was interesting because then that got me thinking. I was like, okay, well, the urban farming is is it's something that you know we're building up in DC right now, and it could be as and
0: and you could argue that's an agriculture. You could argue. You could argue that.
1: Um.
2: But it's uh, yeah.
1: But what about the other industries?
0: Yeah, And that's, the, that, that's why when I saw this article, I was like, okay, well, this guy is saying a company that makes sales is industry mm-hmm. in, that, in that city. I forget what city it was. I think it was in Canada or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so does this then make it easier? For, and we, we didn't really get into it. So, you know, for people that don't know, D.C. is not a state. It's a city. It's considered a district. Um, but it's, it's although not part of any other state, so it's sort of in that limbo, and there's this big fight in DC to try and to try and make it into a state.
1: And it affects voting rights as well, right? Yeah, yep. so it,
0: it affects a bunch of things. People like, get get uh, worked up about the fact that then oh well, then now you're gonna have you know another DC is mainly Democratic, so the Republicans are against it because it's adds a Democratic vote in the Senate and Congress and all of these things. If that there it were change. a 51st state. Right, Yeah, if it was a 51st state. So, but all those things aside, if there's these requirements for statehood that included industry, it, this article got me thinking, Is like, okay, well, if you can count a company that makes sales, sales. or no, that makes lingerie yeah, exactly. as industry, then it's not that hard for a city like D.C. to become a state and say, okay, well, we have industry, mm-hmm. right? So... I don't know, I, I just was interested to see what you guys thought when it comes to that. So this is a specific example of an area that's trying to define itself as a state and you've run into this, this antiquated, because I think to a degree, it's antiquated requirement of a state. Yeah, yeah. You know, how long has it been since we've made a new state that there has to be industry, right? Yeah. And then it got me thinking, like, okay, well, let me start thinking. Like, I know Florida, like, you would argue that orange is an industry there, like the orange growing and selling. is. And this. tomatoes and strawberries. Right. Yeah. But that's also agriculture more than it is industry. I'm like, well, what industry? So they don't make cars there. They don't make, what do they make? Boats. Lots like and lots boats. of boats. Yeah. Right. So yeah. then you start thinking yes. about that.
1: Like but, yachts. I mean, 200 yeah. foot boats. I mean, all right. kinds of boats.
0: Yeah, but it got me thinking of like, okay, now I got to come up with industry for, for everything. St- like the you other know, you could argue that in Florida, that tourism is an industry. There. Yeah.
1: And a lot right. of people do say tourism right. is an industry.
0: So you could argue the same thing for DC, that tourism yeah. is an industry in DC. Right. yeah now you're not really making anything
1: As a service but I mean even construction structure. is a huge industry in d c there's always a ton of construction right. it's actually very complicated to build stuff in mm-hmm. in d c yeah
2: but is that a, is that a, is that an industry is that like a product driven industry like it, steel would be the the, the industry thats, that's or uh, well, what's interesting is what, what
1: defines the industry yeah. is what I think you're saying
2: yeah and actually like I'm working on on a uh, with a community right now and they're trying to figure out what is happening with the gravel. We actually live really close to a cement plant, um, in in the city, and all of those uses are placed in four neighborhoods. Um, and now, do they
1: actually do they actually mine the rock there, or do they bring it in? Because you gotta have to make cement, you gotta have limestone that you decompose. So usually, wherever there's a cement plant, there's an enormous pit where they mine yeah, no, they the limestone. They so they're, they're bringing, it in, they're bringing it in
2: from somewhere else, and then. I, I Is guess, it cement or concrete,
1: Were they just mixing it?
2: Uh, both not
1: sure? Okay.
0: No, boom. I think it's just cement.
2: No, it's also concrete. It's mm-hmm. aggregate. It's aggregate.
0: Also. Yeah. Uh, and, I know they do mix it there, for sure, and you see the, the mixing trucks coming out of it.
1: Okay. Out of there on, so all it all might just the be a mixing mix. plant, because yeah. there are two different it's things. Mixed. To make cement, you got to decompose. But
2: the trucks are coming in as well.
0: With the With the materials with to, the mix, materials mix, it. to
2: yeah. mix it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a mixing plant. Yeah, the one that's near us. Mm- there's the, the the other one with the community where i've been and that one is close to a highway which mm. is the reason why the, the location is important that one has three different um cement plants mm. there but here's the, the kicker so we found out that they're not going to be there for long mm. they're actually going to move the florida rock was one of them actually that's the other one um so there so there's like four in that just one little neighborhood again 10 square miles this is less than half a mile mm-hmm. area Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean that's has, a significant yeah, industry.
3: It is, yeah.
2: but, and, and then the city now is like there's plans for them to move, and they're gonna have to. But there's so much construction in in the district that it's good for them to be there. Yeah, right. right? and they're part of the, they're part of all of the the, the different associations for construction. It's inclusive a, inclusive of AIA. I was doing research on them, uh, so they fund AIA and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, so I I don't know like where are they going to go? How upset are they going to be? What's going to happen with that?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean I think this is a very interesting topic cuz the, there's the point of what do you consider industry? What industry are people really going to tolerate yeah. yeah in their neighborhoods? And uh, yeah, so I, I don't know I don't know if we've come up with a full answer no. of anything here but
1: Yeah, like and there's a there's an industry that I would consider kind of halfway between clean and dirty and and no one ever really seems to have a problem with, and that's a like a wood shop, a woodworking mm-hmm. shop you know when you're making cabinets or furniture uh and I don't know if it's because of the nature of the material that everybody's attracted to, but you can have a small wood shop and people are very interested in seeing what you're doing, and uh, no one ever really complains about it, but there comes a time where uh, they grow and they too have to go elsewhere but uh, you know that provides a lot of community uh help because uh, for a wood shop you can where, where you may not necessarily need the highest skill. Uh, you can come in as an apprentice and learn very quickly and move on. So it provides some interesting opportunities. Um, but I, don't, I personally don't consider woodworking to be a heavy industry. Right. Um, but it's, it's still an industry nonetheless, and there are wood shops everywhere. And I'm imagining in DC, there's probably a wood shop every, every time you turn around, somebody's making n- not a single one.
0: Uh, I mean, there's there's probably some. There's not there's not that not, many. Not like you see. No, nope. mm-hmm. and I
2: and I I've, I've walked the city. I, I know the city fairly well. There are none, because that's that's not something that.
1: Did you get the Marion Barry tour of the city?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I I also have to say this though, like for that particular community that I that, that I was mentioning with the cement plant nearby, one of the the reasons why also the the cement plant will more likely leave it's not because of all of the air quality issues that they're the because they're not they're not doing anything about the dust that's being mm-hmm. emitted to the to the neighbors and it's a lot of sure it's a lot. Yeah. and right now and i have to say it i mean it for buzzard point they the, the the city claims that there are no issues every time they go over there like department of environment is like what dust there's no dust here, and yeah. you know, like
1: well, because they announced their their visit and they don't mix that day. Exactly.
3: Yeah, naturally.
2: So, um, but the issue that the DOE, the Department of Environment, didn't realize is that so because of climate actions, the CO two emissions uh, regulations are are a lot more strict. All those trucks that go in and out mm-hmm. out of there, the emissions that that is putting into the city are really bad.
1: Yeah, because they're all diesel trucks.
2: Yeah. yeah. So then, therefore the regulations for climate are basically going to move them out eventually. in
3: order to comply they in don't have a to choice
2: with, they won't have a choice hmm. so it's a, it's an interesting thing that you know some of these like the the, the the connections between like the the community has no they've been living with this for at least 30 more than us yeah like
1: uh, so it's interesting. it's interesting because the industry that can help um, assist with the statehood that everybody wants is going to be driven out by the policies in place <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> to to uh, prevent a lot of other things. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a snake eating its own tail. You know, yeah. it just doesn't doesn't stop.
2: When they're helping to build buildings, and buildings are also high emitters of CO mm-hmm. <laughs> two, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I yeah. Feel like, it's
0: interesting because I feel like this whole conversation is a little bit of that snake eating its own tail. <laughs>
1: Um, if you heard that, uh, (laughs) we're at my house and the cats are going crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're so cute. All right, well, I mean, I think this has been an interesting discussion. I don't know, I mean, if there's anything else we can add to it.
1: Um, No, I think, uh, like a lot of these discussions, it leaves a lot, a lot more to be discovered. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Excuse me. And, I mean, I guess I would say if... People listening have some ideas of what kind of industry they would accept in the neighborhood, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. You know, I'd love to hear, oh, you know, I don't I wouldn't have a problem with the paper mill. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well you know it's funny because uh when I was in the army there uh not too far from where I was in Fort Benning, mm-hmm. there was a paper mill and you could smell it for miles and miles mm-hmm. and miles. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm good cool so we'll uh we'll wrap this discussion up for that and move on to our next thing which is our product of the week all right so let's talk about our product of the week and this is a desktop injection molding Ray, you found this machine when you tell us a little bit about it
1: yeah, well, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, you know, uh, the industry that, uh, that I'm in, we do a lot of industrial repairs and manufacturing. And one of the machines that we work on are injection uh, uh, extrusion machines, extr- injection molding machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are quite big. You know, even mm-hmm. the smallest one is 5,000 pounds or more. Uh, they're, they're big and they're heavy. So um, when I found this, uh, I said, well, this can't be, this can't be right. Let me, let me take a close look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of being able to have that level of technology uh, reduced to fit on your desktop, mm-hmm. and then to be as inexpensive as this, uh, which is, uh, yeah, and, and some might find it expensive. You know, it's at five hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite inexpensive. Uh, normally, an injection molding machine, even if you find one used, is fifteen to thirty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, and they're huge, so you you can't really have it in your home. So this kind of brings that le- that scale, that level of, of manufacturing and industry, brings the scale down to something that can fit right here on your desktop and you can start molding parts if that's something you're interested in, whether for uh, experimentation or if you have a short run of parts mm-hmm. that you can make. Um, and for those who don't know, most of the things that are made out of plastic that are uh, in your day-to-day lives are made through the process of injection molding. So it's something that we are all uh, indirectly, intimately, uh, even that table, that table mm-hmm. that you're using, uh, those clamshells were were injection molded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting idea of bringing this level of technology of manufacturing down to the scale that the average person can use. And uh, I really, I really think the 550 is quite reasonable. I don't think it's that expensive.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean I agree with you, and I think it's great that they're you know it, we were just talking about the. The in industry and bring it back to the cities yeah you know this is one of the ways you do it is by having this machines that normally are so much bigger have being able to make them smaller and have a small shop that you could do it in and then pot- potentially sell out of the same shop mm-hmm. the stuff you're making so it's great in that sense um, it does feel though a little like it's it, it almost feels like they went down too far down <laughs> like it's it too is a small little too small yes for it to be 100% useful for you know I mean, this one they they mentioned the golf tee a couple of times. Yes. Um, you know that's a very small item. I feel like it should be slightly bigger, and then it's not going to be five hundred bucks, obviously.
1: No, then you're probably in the fifteen hundred range. Right. Rate, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think you also mentioned that you thought we could make this for less than five hundred bucks. I think it yourself, so. Right? Yeah.
1: And some of our listeners might be familiar with the uh, the precious plastics. Yes that we've mentioned that we've I think, mentioned several times
0: episode 2 or 3 where we talked fully about it. yeah
1: and yeah. if you're curious I would I would suggest listening to that yeah. episode because uh, it's a, a young man Dave Hackens mm-hmm. I think he's like 27 years old mm-hmm. has re-engineered a lot of uh, industrial plastics processing machinery uh, to a small scale bigger than this scale mm-hmm. bigger than this scale but much 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 smaller than uh, the normal industrial scale so I think uh, they went. I agree with you. I think they went a little too far down. Mm-hmm. But I think we could build this if we wanted to build this one. Or maybe one of Dave Hackens, mm-hmm. uh, he did a similar yeah. home build and, and much larger capacity than this right. that might be uh, for the same money. Mm-hmm. We could probably build something very mm-hmm. interesting. What did
0: okay. you think about it, Claudia?
2: So, um... I didn't know what this was. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for... for
1: You were looking for a video, weren't yes, you? Yes,
2: for the ladies out there or for the guys who don't know what this is. The
3: uninitiated will say. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Um, definitely look up energyguy.com.
0: Engineer. In,
2: I'm sorry, engineerguy.com. Um, and the uh, he has this uh, plastic injection molding video, and mm. it's really good. It explains it to the T. It mm. explains it in a way that... We can all understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Legos are a really good example. I when, yeah. when he, he actually has a, vi- a whole other video on the process of Lego making. Mm-hmm. And um, what was really interesting is that once I, I read, I've, I saw that first.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I saw this, and I was like, okay, I don't know what this machine looks, does, or looks like. It looks weird. Mm-hmm small, but not you, you couldn't determine, couldn't what, it determine from what, what it does looks. from what it looks <laughs> yeah. at
0: all. Because if you just looked at it, you you could almost wonder if it's just a whole bunch or something. <laughs> that's like that. yeah. yeah. That's because exactly what order, I thought it
2: was. That term. it was. It looks like that. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the video, and then I was like, well, this is huge. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to what Ray is saying that it's it's a it's a costly machine, and it's mm-hmm. it's big, but had the importance of it too. Is is is, is good of the fact that it, almost everything that we have in plastic comes from plastic injection mm-hmm. um, it even tells you about the story behind like the history behind the the machines is really good so I definitely recommend everybody to see that but then I went back to the to the actual product that we're talking about and it's the first sentence is ideal for school technology programs that need a reliable machine to demonstrate hands-on injection molding mm-hmm. and that I was like I just went through that because I just went through a video on YouTube to learn what plastic injection molding is, what the process is, and the fact that it's everywhere. Yeah.
3: Right?
2: So then I put myself, I was like, well, I was basically a 14-year-old trying to figure this out. And I was able to do it within the last, you know, like, with, within 10 minutes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but this
1: if, gives you practical hands-on
2: experience. Exactly, yeah. because you can have it in school. So for a STEM program
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and for, uh, to 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 understand the process is really good. And then also to do it mm-hmm. there, right? So if mm-hmm. you're, because there's one thing is to, sh- to look at a video, which uh, I mean for let's face it, a lot of a lot of students nowadays they supplement their
0: education through YouTube, yeah. which is
2: in the internet in general. Yeah, yeah. And the
1: internet. And I
0: don't think it's just students. Think everybody does yeah. that.
2: Yeah. yeah, but it's you'll be surprised. You know, like the you know before we used it in in our day we used to go you know like if you didn't understand something you would ask grandma claudia to, exactly <laughs> <laughs> In what our day. do you mean
0: when we didn't have the internet I've always had the internet uh.
2: <laughs> Like, yeah, you would go and ask, you know, your peers. Yeah,
0: you look right? it up on an encyclopedia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, these kids don't know what an encyclopedia is.
2: Oh, no, I see. For those who couldn't even afford an encyclopedia, now and I'm not only Cla- grandma Claudia, I'm also yeah. the poor. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> you know, I used to go to the library and read the McGraw-Hill Encyclopedia of Science and Technology. That was my favorite book. I would go there. There were two versions. There were, like, the 26 volumes, and then there was the, the, uh, the uh, Consolidated... Version that was like two thousand pages. It was like eight inches tall. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite books as a kid. That's funny because I
2: had that choice or go read the Teen my Magazines. You know, and we all know
3: which way you went. We you yeah. know yeah. where I went.
2: <laughs> so, but it's really like? Yeah, so you know, getting a hands-on education um, that you're seeing this not just from a YouTube video and also you're hearing about this from like people like Ray you know like who are doing this you know who do this for a living like master makers you know people who have done this you know wood shop like yeah like it's just it, to me that's there's so much benefit to that and being able to see that hands-on it's pretty cool at, at 500 any any that's less
1: than the cost of a computer yeah to so put it
2: any in a school fab lab it's not a big deal. Should, you know yeah. should have this mm-hmm. um, and I don't think they do because sometimes they'll make the choice of oh let me get the 3d printer yeah and i won't get this
0: right because theoretically i guess whatever you're molding here you could just 3d print now the 3d printer is going to take hours to do it and it's
1: more expensive way to do it like if let's say you needed a hundred little pieces Mm -hmm. you know like like the board game that you want to do or Yeah. yeah so you have all these little pieces uh, you need to make a hundred of them, there is no way you could 3D print it faster right. or less expensive than, than this. this.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And So now going back to you know going back to the to what this, this machine looks like, mm. so now that I understand how the whole... so a regular uh, plastic injection molding machine, is it horizontal usually?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. it's usually horizontal and um, the and, and the mold that you see here that they're offering, and they have, uh, we can mention that they have a sample mold that's uh, less than $100. Uh, make no mistake that if this is something that they want to do, and again, uh, we didn't say this before, we have no affiliation with this product or this company, uh, but if you wanted to do something like this and you have some custom pieces, the molds will have to be manufactured, and if you're only making one or two pieces, then it's cost prohibitive. Uh, the molds are going to be the most expensive thing. Depending on the complexity, you can have a mold that will be either $100 or $1,000. It, it, it all depends on what you're doing. B- having said that aside, uh, your typical industrial injection molding machine it is not unusual to have a $100,000 mold. That is not unusual. And molds are actually very complicated. Uh, the ways that they're engineered, are they're actually engineered to accommodate for the amount of shrinkage the plastic will be doing. From its hot phase when it's injected to when it's cool. So if you if the size is, has to be uh, exact, mm-hmm. like when you have parts that click together, that's very precise and very exact. Uh, the mold has to be engineered with the sh- amount of shrinkage in mind, and that depends on the type of plastics that are going to be molding. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of engineering and manufacturing, and the actual sides of the mold are not square. They actually have just a slight, the tiniest bit of angle and that's on purpose because if, if they're perfectly square you can't get the plastic out it gets locked in there so there's a lot of complication involved in injection molding but the machines are big even the smallest ones are you know like i said five six seven, seven thousand pounds um, they have uh, they're screw fed and they're instead of being from the top like this they're actually injected from the side and they're usually on two halves and they're on uh... sliding pins and they're ejector pins and there's a, a, quite a bit of complicated uh... mechanical parts and they have um uh cooling jackets as well when you have mm-hmm. cooling lines and it, and it has to go through there in a certain way because you have to cool it before you reject it mm-hmm. so it's a very complicated issue mm-hmm. so yeah. when you when you really examine how intricate and complicated the whole thing is and you shrink it down to this level and offer it for 500 bucks I, it's quite amazing honestly
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's funny when you when you been explaining it like all i can think of was the legos yeah. and and how um, bill explains it in the engineer guide mm-hmm. his in his YouTube, the, oh yeah, the corners, they snap together. Yeah, and the corners, yeah. the corners have to be like 90 degrees, right? So the that that angle is actually on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and he cuts a he doesn't do it there. You know, maybe in the other video he does it, but if you cut a Lego, oh, in the have, cavity you can see you that can angle. See, and and yeah. you can and you can like almost visualize what the mold looked like. Yeah. Right. And
1: that's, and that's called a draft saying. angle, and that's very important.
2: Yeah, and and then then you think of like how many Legos you need to make mm, how yes. important that and how important that mold the, is. Yes. Right? Because it makes you number one, it makes you so much so many so much of that product. But two, it makes you so much money. Yes. Right? So the cost of that mold I can easily see like it's well, being I mean, when really, it, really
0: important. When it comes to manufacturing, if somebody has a new product they want to make, one of the more most expensive things is getting their molds made. Exactly. Before they can actually start getting it manufactured. Correct. And yeah.
1: typically, what will happen is if they have an idea for a product, mm-hmm. they will manufacture it conventionally, you know, machining mm-hmm. processes. Let's say out of a certain plastic, mm-hmm. um, and then they examine it and they see whether it's going to work or not. And if it does work, then they go through the expense of making a mold. Mm-hmm. And uh, it in a hundred thousand dollars actually not unusual. and It's not terrible. Even you see the the Lego molds. They probably only had like six pieces at a shot or however many yeah. pieces it was. That For making six pieces of lego was probably a hundred thousand dollars but you're spitting out legos every two seconds Mm -hmm. or five seconds whatever it is so you're Mm -hmm. you're that mold that you spent so much on lets you reduce the cost of making those legos to fractions of a penny each Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a huge investment no doubt
2: the other thing that i like about this thing was so in in his video is clamps like so you need a clamp right you need like
3: a clamp system to hold the mold yeah, yeah, you gotta. It's it usually closed. hydraulic. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the big manufacturing, they're hydraulics. So the ram mm. holds it together under pressure with hydraulics. Mm-hmm. They do the thing, and then it opens it up. Yeah, it's, it's all hydraulic. So the whole,
2: yeah, the whole system is it systematic, right? Yeah, you know? oh yeah. And that was really cool because aside from the technology, right, it's also how you put together these machines or like the basic components of these machines. So again, I put myself in a fourteen-year-old, you know, teeny. Mm-hmm. Like the one that reads teen magazines, mm-hmm. teen beats.
1: I can see you reading that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Mindset, and this was really cool because I was able to. I was like, okay, well, we know as a maker, I know clamps are so important. Mm. You know. And yeah. What's it, the
1: number one rule for clamps? <laughs> you, can't you can't have too many. You
2: can't have too many.
3: Number one rule. I, I didn't think she was going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember.
2: So that's that's a cool thing. So you know, like, it just there's so many like opportunities for learning mm-hmm. from this. But then could go back to this. To this. This is a vertical. This one's yeah. vertical, yes. And, and the clamp is in the, in the, in the, I mean, the horizontal, position, horizontal, right? right. And that's what, that's, what, that's what we see in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so had I not seen the original one, then I, then I started putting together mm-hmm. the, 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 the different components. Yeah. 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 And then the lever is so that you're putting, the, the, you're putting the, pressure. the
1: pressure. The pressure, because it has to be injected under pressure. Right. And, and then, of course, <laughs> there's other things that you don't see here, and that's whenever you, you have a mold, the mold has a cavity. The cavity contains air. You need Mm -hmm. to provide vents. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. air has to get out for the plastic to go in. Mm -hmm. So there's venting, and that is actually uh, a a study onto itself. And then when you have a mold with various cavities, uh, the the channels that are cut into there, into that to get to every piece, there Mm -hmm. is a study onto that as well. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a a simple thing, Mm
3: -hmm. but uh, very
2: cool though. I mean that that to me that that's the that's the benefit of the five hundred dollars, like the investment of that, and then you know times how many kids you could teach yeah. this to. It's almost like you're molding minds
3: in a way want to be really like and
1: Yeah. what's interesting is that you can the molds are so small. If you're doing one-off mold you can make it out of wood. They don't have to be metal. Mm-hmm. So you can do very simple experimentation uh, in the shop, or they, they could be plastic. You, if you use a higher temperature plastic, mm-hmm. and you're molding with a lower temperature plastic. It makes them very cost-effective, especially if it's just experimentation.
2: That was my next, my, my final question. So the the molds can be plastic, right?
1: They can be plastic. There are there are high temperature plastics. Right. Um, it is it is not advisable to use mm-hmm. uh, plastics for a mold because they're not temperature stable. So as you inject it, the plastic itself gets hot. The mold grows, and it it, it shifts around on you. So, right. but for experimentation purposes, for just mm-hmm. you know one or two pieces to experiment with. It's fast and easy than machining of a mold out of steel or aluminum so or whatever.
2: So in a fabrication lab you could have your 3D printer and you can have this so you could print y- your mold.
0: Yeah, but well the part that's like... not included with this is you got to have a way of melting the plastic.
1: That actually is included. It is included? Yeah, okay, you can't see, it. see it. it if you look at it. not see it on there. Yeah, you see the electrical cord yeah. that it's underneath that no, little just, shield. You're right, I do see it. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's a small heating yeah. element, it's nothing major. Yeah. Um, this has no controller on it. The controller is an expensive uh, undertaking. Right, it just heats up. It just gets hot yep. and and you have that lever and you'll be able to feel when it starts to mount and then you push it, you in. Push it in. So it's uh, simplistic, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. what makes it so inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an idea, a, a controller for a heating element by itself it will be about 500 bucks. and That's mm-hmm. for a small one to, for one heating element. Mm-hmm. So they can go up from there.
2: So. You know, for our listeners who are makers or teach making at libraries and stuff like that, so if mm-hmm. they were, if, you know, or fabricate, they, they have a, fa- a fabrication lab or, or are thinking of even doing that, you know, because there's a lot of educators, mm-hmm. um, what age would you recommend t- for, for
0: someone to use Well, these? I mean, we don't have to recommend it. Correct. They recommend, they recommend it right it here. They say ages they say? 12 and up. <laughs> <Cool>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> nice.
3: you know, I, I wouldn't <laughs> make yeah. that assumption.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to recommend so we're not <laughs> recommending it. The maker, reco- the, the maker of the machine recommends twelve, twelve and up. Yeah. Um, cool. And I would do it under supervision.
1: Absolutely <laughs> under supervision. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and if you're an adult, burn yourself, that's fine with me. No. Right.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so even as a parent, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. parents will spend a lot of money on, on yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah no, that. I mean, and
0: I think it's a, like I w- w- Once I get far enough in this project that I'm, think- that I'm working on for, the- for this um, board game that I'm cooking, and I, I want to be able to make, I don't know, what is it, the 400 of them and each one has you know, however many pieces, let's just say 10 pieces each, it might make more sense to do it this way than any other kind. Because of- you can do molding other ways, like you can do silicone molds that you pour plastic Legally, resin yeah. in and it's a similar process and you say that you're putting a liquid in and then it heats up and it makes it into plastic.
1: But silicone moles have a limited life as well. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah so it's you got to sort of make those choices. This is a very for five hundred dollars, the, the investment is there if you're going to make it back in some other way. You know. Yeah. So
1: yeah. And what, what I like about option. it is because it's such a small shot, you're not you're not using a whole lot of plastic. You can you can dye each batch. You can have you know if you're doing a, a group of things. Let's say you have ten groups and they're all limited edition. Mm-hmm. There's the red one, the yellow one, the green one, the yeah. you know. Yes. Cool. because the dye is expensive mm-hmm. so you don't want to dye more than you need yeah. uh, and you can have all these different colored batches yeah. it, it gives you a lot of opportunity on the small scale obviously mm-hmm. in fact there's a there's a customer uh, right down here mm-hmm. not too far from where I live all they do is manufacture the pigments mm-hmm. for uh, injection molding cool. machines that's cool and oh, they have the smallest ones I've here. seen which are the 5,000 7,000 pound machines mm-hmm. that they do test batches on and most recently I, I did their their test batch mold we modified their test batch mold because they uh, hard hard to believe the there's an ASTM standard for the strips that need to be manufactured to an exact standard that have to be injection molded so then they can be tested in the laboratory to see if they meet the requirements so we uh, they had an, an existing mold that didn't uh, uh, meet any requirements so we modified that mold so they save themselves the cost of making a new mold, mm-hmm. but the modification was, I think, six thousand dollars or something like that. But now they can produce those test strips, send it to an independent lab, and they can test the batches the to make sure that they meet the requirements. Hmm.
3: Very cool.
1: Yeah, cool. But that's all they do there.
3: Nice. I want to go over there. <laughs> check
0: it out. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. That's a good product. So check it out, and uh, I don't know. I I might get one one day you <laughs> if, might I, think I, about, yeah. if I decide to. Yeah, maybe it'll decide It all depends on how I decide to do this thing
1: Yeah, or we'll, we can build a Dave Hackens one
0: Yeah I liked it because it was much, a much bigger
1: um, You can have a bigger mold bigger too mold. Yeah As a matter of fact, if you did it carefully You can actually have a mold That molds all your pieces in one shot
0: Yeah, the only difference would be If you want to be different colors Then you'd have to
1: Well, they yeah, yeah. they'd all be Yeah
2: So for our listeners like me Now that you've heard this episode, go back and right, listen to the... Because that's an episode you weren't on, actually. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and and now you, you'll have a better understanding of those machines, because mm-hmm. when I saw the machines, I, I didn't quite understand. I thought the process was great, mm-hmm. but that's as much as... as, as and you
1: had no reference sense. for the industrial equivalent. Yeah. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and especially after you like you learn a little bit more about plastic injection molding, then you mm-hmm. can like understand that process a lot better
1: Yeah.
2: From a 14-year-old <laughs> perspective.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, with that, let's move on to what are we working on? Okay, uh, so what's everybody working on this week?
1: Well, this week um, I'm planning a new YouTube video for something that I built years and years and years ago. Uh, I don't know if I ever showed you the pictures of the pirate chest I built. Yes i seen this you remember it. that did you remember the lock mm-hmm. so I made a lock out of wood right I made yeah, yeah the housing was out of wood but the mechanism inside was all steel and I've been kind of revisiting the idea of making that lock again because I only have those pictures mm-hmm. to show the how to of how I built that lock and I also made the key it was like a skeleton yeah. key
0: yeah, and for anybody that doesn't realize, when he says he has those pictures, he means like they were shot on film. And, actual and film. Actual and developed,
1: and I had to wait two <laughs> yes. weeks to get it.
3: Old yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah, so, cool.
1: Yeah, so I'm thinking about uh, how I would approach it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, I did it, it was kind of like a shield shape. I think I will probably revisit like the antique pirate, like the clover leaf, you know, mm. that shape. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. So that's what I've been working on is the plan for doing that video.
0: Very cool. What about you, Claudia?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I'm not going to be making much this week, like actual anything. But mm-hmm. I, I, what I will be doing is um, – so I went to school for environmental policy, right? And um, within two years, you just can't learn everything.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And one of, the, one of the areas I don't know too much about is energy and, um, and, and climate. Change or climate climate resiliency. Mm-hmm. So right now I, I need to submit a commentary for the DC Climate Action Plan. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm putting together um, I, I'm, what I'm going to do is like this whole week I'm going to be researching on how climate what, you know it just basically a climate climate 101. Mm-hmm. You know CO2 emissions, energy emissions, all of that, and understanding regulation how it affects like exactly the topics that we've been talking about this mm-hmm. week. Um, how it affects industry, how it affects communities specifically, um, both from STEM perspective, even um, from education, and, and then also the the regulations for the future, right? Because for climate resiliency and the change with with the issues with climate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what I'll be I'll be working on, and, and, and I'm gonna try to see how we can how I can also include some of the impacts on in- industry, mm-hmm. small industry like the maker movement.
0: Cool. Very cool. well, I, I've been out of town, I've been in Florida this for a few days here, so I didn't really get a chance to, uh, to do much. although while I was there, I've come back now with a project my mom wants, wants, yeah. wants us to work on here with Ray. so we're going to work on that and, and then you know my parents' house is in a constant state, state of renovation, so I was having to do some advice given over there as far as architecture is concerned.
2: It's kind of um, cool to know that Jose's mom is a maker.
0: Yeah, she's got a. She, she listens to the show, so I'm looking to get better. She <laughs> she needs to uh, clean up her her shop a little bit and uh, get more organized with it, so she can work in it better.
1: I think so. she's gonna have a comment for you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're gonna get our first hate mail, so mom uh,
0: address it to Ray. Yeah,
2: <laughs> she'll be kind yeah. to Ray. She likes Ray. Yeah.
0: So all right, well, that's cool. Um, I think the one announcement we do have is that uh, we have we we have been mentioning that we're maybe going to be at a couple of places we can come see can come meet us and we're going to sh- record the show there so we are going to actually be at silver springs maker fair yeah, uh, september, september 25th um you can go what's in, what's the website
2: maker fair with an e at the end silverspring.com
0: all yep. together one word yep so that is where we're going to be there with the show we're going to have a space we're going to be recording the show there live and maybe doing some interviews with, well, no, maybe we're going to be bringing, not only bringing some of the stuff we've made, but we're going to be also doing interviews with different makers and be, maybe people attending. So we're going to be running the show from there. So we're going to have a couple of special shows that day, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. And for people that live in the this DC, Maryland, and Virginia, this is uh, Silver Spring. It's right just outside the city yeah. line of uh, Washington, DC. And yeah, it's a really cool town. It's a nice little, neighborhood and uh the whole all of the events are free so people can attend and there's gonna be a bunch of stuff and it's rain or shine which is really cool Mm -hmm. take kids
1: and we'll be there and we're gonna have our lamps there yeah we're gonna have our products which is gonna be really cool so for those who haven't heard our last episode was about our lamp build-off challenge yep we all built uh, three different lamps and we had some voting. I, I don't think you have the results yet. I don't
0: have the results yet, so it's still open for voting because I've been out of town and I haven't got a chance to check okay. on it. So just people still got a chance to vote. If you haven't heard last week, go through, listen to it and watch the videos and you still have a chance to vote at least until around this time next week, yeah. I think.
1: But we're not promising anything, but we might give one away. Right, we we're might give sure
0: one away. not sure yet. Yeah, we gotta work out the logistics of how we do that. <laughs> yeah, because we, I, I'd love to give a chance for not just the people atten- but Maybe we do two. Maybe one for the people attending, one for the people that listening. I don't know. We gotta figure that out. Yeah. To to see what what works best. Mm-hmm.
2: And maybe we we'll be taking some of his products, which is cool. So yeah,
0: we'll try and bring some of the stuff that we do, even from portfolios or photos. Even if we can't bring yeah. everything, you know, let's just bring as much of the stuff so we can show people what yeah. stuff we work on. So,
1: I think we uh, we have quite a range of projects and mm. materials that we work with here
0: yeah, yeah so cool
3: very cool
0: so yeah put that on your calendar September 25th and uh, as always you can email the show uh, to the email account it's madepodcast at gmail.com check out the website as well which is madepodcast.com
2: follow us on Facebook
0: follow the Facebook Made group podcast. which is also madepodcast and uh, Ray where can people find more about yeah. you
1: uh, you have links to my uh, my uh, Facebook page for homemade lathes. Those who might be interested in building their own machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we do there, and um, my YouTube uh, channel. Always working on something new. Yep. And if you're curious about those videos, they're on the channel. They're
0: on the channel. Yep. There's a link to Ray's uh, Ray's Facebook page on there.
2: Yeah, his, his channel is really cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: What about you, Claudia? Where can people uh, find that? What about you?
2: The cityecologist dot com is my website, and uh, the cityecologist
0: on Twitter. Cool. And I'm at City Aperture for both my website and on Twitter as well. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be the show for today. Cool. Cool. Great. Thank you uh, for listening.
1: See you next time.
3: Bye.